Hey, thank you for listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel Las Vegas. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are streamed. You can also visit PraiseChapelLasVegas.com and follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas to stay connected with PCLV. Thank you again for listening. Here comes today's message. time of preparing this. I tell you, each time I uh, get ready to minister the word, uh, it's an opportunity I don't take lightly. And man, God has been just meeting me in these uh, last couple of times of the preparing for the word. And so I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm thankful for my, uh, my uh, pastors for uh, giving this opportunity and challenging me in this way. Um, I know that at the end of the day, this is something where God is developing me as a, as a man, as a disciple. And uh, God is beating me in these times of, uh, of studying and seeking them out in the Word. And so I'm excited to be part of this series. This is a tremendous series. I know we did this last year with the Be Still series and even the year before that. And so I like that we are able to dive a little bit deeper into the theme because, you know, we get all excited, you know, with the study, oh, it's victory, victory 2020. You know, we start seeing, I'm going to see the victory. You know, we get all going and whatnot. But I don't think oftentimes, especially for that verse, you know, that's on the, the uh, banner that we really get into that, you know. I think we get caught up in the hype of, you know, the theme and the scripture and whatnot. But, you know, maybe sometimes we don't even, uh, you know, really get into just what does that even mean? What does victory mean? Okay? How should I apply this to my life? And so as I prepared tonight's message, um, God, pr- again, provided my understanding of victory. Um, you know, as uh, our, my, our pastors have said before, others have said, as well. Um, let's not just mistake this theme as just a coincidence or something that just sounded good, you know. Uh, I, I do graphic design and, you know, like people can get on to marketing and all like these buzzwords and hashtags and whatnot. It's not like our pastor just was sitting down uh, having a roundtable meeting with us at Servanthood like, you know what, we need something good for them to give more, you know. Commitment? No. Let's not do commitment. Man, our guys are going to go down 20%. About victory, all right, let's get that going. We didn't have that kind of meeting. This was a God-ordained vision. And as we go along tonight, we're going to gain further understanding of this. So you see, the victory theme comes to us in the time that I know that a lot of us are facing battles. I, can, I think it's safe to say that we all face a battle of, uh, of sorts. You know, each of us face a battle. Um, some of the battles are larger than others. Uh, some, you know, it's a relative thing, you know. Because, you know, you have someone that has a testimony in one area that can look at someone else going through the same thing and not see it as much. Um, these things are relative, but they're battles nevertheless. And so I feel like in our own ways, we're going through different battles in our lives. And, you know, if it's one thing that we rem- have to remember in our walks, though, with God, you know, um, and this is, comes from the uh, one-year Bible, and I, I like this term. It, the Christian life is battles and blessings. Someone say battles. Someone say blessings. So the Christian life is battles and blessings. And oftentimes, you know, we can feel like it's, it's more battles than anything. We feel worn out. We feel tired. I don't know if you, any of you have seen the movie 1917, a tremendous uh, war movie. And so, uh, you know, just all the uh, crazy uh, things he had to go through and all the, uh, the war and the turmoil, uh, we can often feel like, God, we're just dragging ourselves through the mud. We're just trying to survive. And we're like, where is the blessing in our lives? 
Um, but as we get into this tonight, we're going to get into the battles that we face and get into the victory that God has for us. Can someone say amen? And so this theme comes to our church here in Las Vegas for this year. And I know this is meant for this particular church here on the corner of Tropicana and Pecos. Victory comes to us specifically here in this church, this body of Christ, this city, and specifically this state and region. And, you know, some of us can be kind of thinking about that phrase, you know, what, what does our state have to do with victory? You know, how do those two things relate? And so um, I'm going to get into two battles here tonight. Uh, one here in the, where we live and the other in the word, you know, that both encapsulate this theme and sh can show us victory. And so we're going to do a little bit of history. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to do a quiz or give you any homework. But we're going to get into a little bit of history tonight about how our state, the state of Nevada, became part of the United States. And so it all goes back, you know, hundreds of years ago in 1864. Anyone know when Nevada Day is? It's pretty easy. There you go. October 31st, Halloween. And so that's the title of my message tonight is Battle Born. And so you see, Nevada was one of the key victories for the Union as they fought to free millions of African Americans that were oppressed in slavery. Um, Nevada earning its state habit, even though they didn't even have the minimum population requirements. So back at that time, in order to get qualified to be, to be in the United States, you had to have the population of 60,000 minimum. And so at that time, Nevada was just a small town. I mean, it's still kind of like that today. We have the southern Nevada parts, Las Vegas, and all these surrounding cities. Then all the way up north, you have Reno, Carson City, um, Tonopah. You have a few cities over there. Uh, but even at that time, Nevada only had 10,000 people in the entire state. So it was just insignificant. It was nothing. It was com nothing compared to all the southern states, you know, what was going on in the original colonies. Um, their population was dwarfed just in comparison to all that. And, you know, you, we can look at this, you know, at that time, you know, going through that time and having Nevada as one of the newest states, you know, people could look at it and say, like, well, what difference is this 10,000-person state going to make? you know, in this election here. You know, the southern states, of course, were uh, fearful of Lincoln getting that uh, amendment ratified. And so they're looking at this, you know, little, like, tiny little pipsqueak state and just like, what difference are you going to make? And so there's a story there of the uh, same mentality that we're going to get into of what others thought was going to be a losing battle. And so we're going to get into, of course, our chapter and our theme for this year. Uh, we're going to First Samuel chapter 17. And so if you guys want to turn there, uh, Samuel 17, and we're going to start at verse 4. And so tonight I'm focusing on the portion of Scripture surrounding our theme for this year. Um, it's here in the Valley of Elah where the most, one of the most significant battles of the Bible took place. Uh, so the army of Israel, of course, and the Philistines were gathering the battle. And then on the opposing side stood one bad dude, stood a champion, and he was looking to terrify Israel and give victory over the Israelites. So we're going to start here in uh, verse 4. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, um, so it may differ a little bit from what you guys have. If you guys are lost, it's before 2 Samuel. So just keep that in mind there, all right, guys? And so uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4, it says, And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, I'm not really versed in uh, biblical measurements there, so I got a translation for that. So basically, Goliath was eight foot between eight foot five and nine foot two. He, he made Andre the Giant look like one of us. And so think about that. My, I'm about five nine, five ten, or something like that. 
that's two of me, like standing on shoulder to shoulder, head to head, I should say. Um, so he had that. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight uh, of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Uh, in verse 6, it says, And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went out before him. In verse 8, it says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, or are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Goliath right here is just, he's defying God. He's uh, declaring you know, his God's victory over the God of Israel over the Israelites. He's just defying them. He's like cursing them out like in every unimaginable way, every profane way. Um, and then as we continue on right here uh, in verse 10, it says, give me a man that we may fight together. And when, fall, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So in the midst of all this, we're going to stop there and we're going to jump back into chapter 17 in just a moment here. Um, you see, there in front of the Israelites is a menacing battle. This is probably the biggest dude that they, they've ever seen in their lives. They thought that Saul, who was the tallest uh, uh, Israelite you know, amongst them all, and you know, maybe a head taller than most of them. So that's like um, you know, Xavier, for instance, right there. He's just about a head taller than a lot of us here. And so they thought, okay, we got our bad guy right here. We got Saul. Saul's a military leader. Saul. Uh, has experience in this, as you see in chapter 14. Uh, Saul was a great military leader. He had a mind for this. You know, he was, you know, the, the biggest one amongst them, and so they thought they were good. But then Goliath comes out of the woodwork and just makes him look like a four-year-old child. You know, it's just like it brought a, a a harsh reality check for them, and it struck fear into their hearts. And so Goliath came down to issue a challenge to the Israelites and go to war against them. And so today we face our own Goliath. You know, we're not fighting no nine foot two people. I don't know where you would find some of that size, but we find some in the spiritual realm. We face our own Goliaths. And in order to conquer them, we have to know this one thing about what brings us victory. And that's what we're going to look to answer tonight. What brings us victory? And it all starts with knowing your opposition. You know, you know the phrase, know your enemy. You know, military uh, experts will determine this as they go into war and strategize. Of course, you know, as you go into sporting events, whether it's, you know, the, the NBA Finals, the Super Bowl, they're running over tapes. They're analyzing the, the, uh, the plays of the opposing team to see what slips in their offense are there. How can we capitalize? How can we get to that quarterback, sack them, and just keep them from gaining some yardage, uh, you know? Uh, we must identify the enemy and the way he fights against us. So we must know that what the enemy comes like because the enemy we face can impose a number of different strategies in his pursuit to destroy us. Do you think that the NFL playbook is full of plays, just like pages and pages of it? The enemy has thousands of different ways that he can come against us, and he knows the ways particular to us that can get to really get to us. Of course, one of the most prime examples of this is found in 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
So you're, you're picturing this. You have this, this enemy that's coming around you, analyzing you, seeing what really bothers you, what really gets to you. And that's the enemy that we have to realize that we're facing. We're facing a cunning enemy. We're facing an enemy that can you know, perceive himself as good and try to justify and reason with you. The enemy is manipulative. He is uh, hurtful. He lies to you. He can tear you down within one sentence. And so in this time, though, as you, we kind of look back, we're going to go back to verse 11 right here. Um, it says, the Israelites were dismayed and greatly afraid. Uh, what you have to look here in this portion, you know, Goliath is just standing there with all his gear. And keep in mind, you know, this, he doesn't have just an average size spear, an average size sword that you and me would carry. These are spears and javelins and armor that are built to support a man that big. You know, they say that the armor that he wore, the weaponry that he was wielding, who had a combined weight of 150 to 200 pounds. So that's just, that's, a, that's almost like me. That's like, you know, me on average, you know, like that's the weight of armor and weaponry that he was carrying. And so as he's standing in front of the Israelites, he's putting some fear tactics into them. He's kind of, he's kind of walking back and forth right here. He's sizing them up. He's showing his dominance. He's standing his tallest. And he, it's all a show dominance. He gave them fear without even doing a single thing to them. It was all in his presence. He was just, you know, just fronting all that. That was for a particular reason. And so in the next verses here, we're not going to read 12 through 18. I'm going to paraphrase this. Uh, but as you can kind of see here, Goliath made it a point for 40 days straight, every, day, every morning, every night, to go ahead and stand in front of the Israelites, mock them, go ahead and show his armor, show his weaponry. And he continued to terrorize them, continued to lord over all those fear tactics over the Israelites. And so in some of our lives, sometimes we let the enemy maintain that presence of fear. You know, so just like Goliath was doing that for 40 days straight consistently, he had a commitment to show him or get fear over their lives. Sometimes we let the enemy have that kind of place in our we let them have that place in our home. You know, we're coming home from work. We had a rough day. We've been, you know, just like having some issues with our bosses. You know, we feel like we're at a dead end. We feel like God's not going to move. You know, the enemy's just right here on the couch. Just like, oh, hey there, buddy. Good to see you. Oh, so you still feel pretty weak, huh? You know, he's just hung over us. You know, we're just hanging our heads down. We're low. We just feel insignificant. We feel like God's not moving in our lives. And we're allowing the enemy a place in our lives. We're allowing the enemy just to come in and continue to instill fear with us. The fear of, you know, God's not going to move. The fear that we're not good enough. The fear that we're just like, like we're not going to get to a better place. We're letting the enemy instill fear over us, and we need to stop it. We need to stop giving the enemy a place. You see, we also need to recognize, too, not only the, the tactics of the enemy, we need to recognize the things that oppose the will of God in our lives. Because not only is um, the enemy going to take advantage of us, you know, stuff, but we're also giving ourselves weaknesses as well. What are we living, uh, living in our lives? You know, what's the, uh, you know, the music of the day? How are we carrying ourselves? You know, what are we not working on? Are we giving the enemy a foothold in our lives? And so we're going to continue on here. And so, you know, the first thing, as I just mentioned, in getting our victory, what brings us victory, of course, is knowing our opposition. Now, the second thing is preparing for battle. And so we need to know how to get through adversity and how to handle temptation. You know, we just sang, this is actually pretty cool because God dropped this, you know, as we were doing worship today. Uh, we just sang a song, you know, called Surrounded. You know, it's called Fight My Battles. You know, that's the other way people know it. Uh, but one of the lyrics of this particular version of the song that we did tonight, 
Um, this is by Upper Room. You know, one of the lyrics says, you know, my weapons are praise and thanksgiving. You know, see, these are two weapons that are given to us to fight our way through the battles that we go through on a day-to-day basis. You know, we give praise to the Lord in every season. We don't give praise just, you know, when things are going good. We give praise in the midst of everything and even, you know, in the seasons where we don't even feel like, you know, we're on fire for God. We have to consistently give praise to the Lord because that is going to continue to keep the fire burning in our hearts and keep us going in this walk. You say amen. <coughs> you see, we also give thanks even before the breakthrough comes in. You know, we, we give thanks that God's going to already move on our behalf and give thanks if he doesn't because we trust in our Father. We trust and place ultimately the best decision um, in his hands. He knows better than us. We do not lean on our own understanding as it says in our Psalms. Our life is in his hands. Um, we're going to go ahead and get back into First Samuel in verse 19. And so First Samuel 19 says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came up to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the, the war cry. Uh, verse 21 says, And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran through to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. So in verse 23, um, As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Um, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him, the, give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So we go ahead and get back into this portion. Of course, you know, we're in the midst of those 40 days that uh, Goliath is just terrorizing them by his presence alone. And the Israelites, I mean, they're not, <laughs> they're not really confident in doing much of anything uh, to try to do, step up to Goliath. No one wants to step up to it. They're just living in fear. And so David overhears, you know, all this myth, you know, um, what they're offering, of course, to kill Goliath. You know, they're offering riches. They're offering the king's daughter. And so here's Goliath, this 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid. He takes advantage of it. He hears that. He's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, we got, some, we got, some, we got something going on with Goliath? You know, who's this dude? Who's this chamaco messing around, trying to defy, defy my God, talking smack about my God? You know, Goliath, you know, or I should say David, you know, he takes a hot take about it. He gets all salty about it. Like, what the heck is this dude talking trash about me? You know, and so, of course, as we continue on right here, uh, let me go ahead and see. Oh, there we go. In uh, verse 27, it says, And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be to the man who, so it shall be done to the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, uh, when he spoke to the men, there's a part not good. Um, now Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, "Why have you come down? And with whom have you left the, these few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle." And David said, "What have I done now? Was it not a word? 
And so, and as he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. And so, in the midst of this, David faces his first criticism. His own brother is facing him, just like, what the heck are you doing here, Matt? You know, you think you you're, you're can uh, chest up to Goliath? This dude is twice our size, you know. And David faces his first criticism and, you know, what's coming forth, you know. It's just, you know, it's coming through someone, you know, that wouldn't be expected, you know, it's his own blood. And sometimes, you know, even like the enemy will use some of the people closest to us to speak death over our lives. And that's a sad reality that we face, but the enemy will use anything that he can to throw us off on our battles. Um, I'm going to continue on forth here in verse 31. When the words that spoke, David spoke were heard, he repeated them before Saul and he sent to, for him. Uh, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and, or, or when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I, sent, I went after them and struck them and delivered them out of his mouth. And he, if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw from the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and let the Lord be with you. And so here's David going before Saul, and you know, that's kind of crazy. You know, David has struck these down, these lions, these bears. You know, this dude's 16. Imagine your 16-year-old kid coming home. Hey, Dad, I killed a bear. Killed a lion. I know about you. I think if Josh came home with a, with a bear to Sister Sarah, I think you'd be feeling mighty proud there. Yeah. There we go. Make a nice little bear stew. Some, you know. Get some enchiladas going. You'd be well, you'd be well uh, appreciated for that. And so this is the kind of uh, uh, you know confidence that David had. You know he was faithful in guarding his sheep. You know it was a servant's position, but David did it with the utmost of his uh, ability, the utmost of his respect. He did it with excellence. And sometimes, and even this, you know, and I was as I was preparing for this, you know, God quickened this to me. You know, we can often look at our, you know, what we do for God, you know, whether it's ushering, worship, um, if it's preparing a message like this, if it's doing uh, Life Connect Group, or just showing up here. You know, we can just say it's off of, a, we can go off of just ability alone. You know, we're just like, you know what, or rather we can just go off of just like, hey, we're trying, you know, like we're, we're here. But at the same time, you know, in the midst of this, God, God demands excellence in all that we do. And so with David, as he was getting into this, as he was faithful to tending to the sheep, he was doing them in excellence. He could have easily looked at one or two of those sheep that went away and just like, oh, whatever, I have a whole flock of sheep here. I'm good. You know, I, I at least tried to do it, but hey, that's a bear. That's a lion. You're kidding me here? I don't have insurance. I'm not going to go find no bear. You know, but David did it with excellence. David went right after those lions and bears, and he struck them, and he killed any that tried to steal any of his sheep. And so that's the same approach that we need to have in our preparations. We need to go not just for mediocrity, not just for complacency. We need to go for excellence in our preparations. 
And so with that here, as we're going to continue on, I want to bring out a point here that I'm not sure that a lot of people bring up. Um, as we go right here um, in verse 38, um, it says, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And they, so Saul's trying to protect David, you know, trying to hook him up, like, all right, well, I'm trying to give you a fighting chance right there. I'm going to make it hard for Goliath to beat through you, so I'm going to put some armor on you. And it was just too much. It was just way too much, uh, just all this stuff. I'm just picturing, like, a, it probably looked like like a four-year-old wearing, like, a, like a double XL T-shirt. You know, it just probably looked ridiculous and silly. And so as uh, David continues preparations here, um, he goes in verse 40. Um, so he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistines. So I'm going to stop right there. Um, so what the point I want to bring up right here is, I mean, it's not a spoiler alert really because we should all know the story. But as I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but as David went to go fight Goliath, how many stones did it take to kill Goliath? One. And how many stones did David have? Five. So David was faithful in his preparations to God and was prepared for this battle the way that God showed him to. He got more stones than were needed to kill Goliath. David didn't know that. David didn't know he was going to take only one stone. But he prepared the way that God showed him to with those five stones, as if he was going to use all five of those stones. And so in the midst, David did not underestimate the enemy that he was about to face. He prepared the way, again, that the Lord showed him to. And with this, we can take from this that sometimes we often underestimate the enemy that we face. If we can be honest with ourselves. And sometimes in the preparations and our prayers, you know, and just us interceding and believing for our needs, Sometimes we come to our prayers like we're praying for a happy meal. Like we do a quick little 10-second prayer. Oh, God, you know, my, uh, my sister's struggling here. Uh, can you just move on her behalf? Yes, thanks, God. Amen. You know, we underestimate that we, that we face, or we go through our own struggles. Like, God, like, I don't want to continue to talk like this. I don't want to continue to struggle with this. Just help me, God. And this prayer is, what, a minute. A minute as you're driving to work, a minute as you're uh, going to bed, you know. We underestimate our enemy. Prayers like that are not going to move the hand of God. Prayers like that are going to keep you exactly where you are. We need to be consistent. We need to prepare as David prepared for his battle. We face an enemy that, again, is committed to taking us out. So we need to be committed to taking him out and getting victory over him. Someone say amen. So there's a saying right here. If you fail to plan, you what? You plan to fail. So if we, are, if we fail to be committed to God in our preparations, if we fail to seek God out in the Word, if we fail to seek out God in our worship, if we fail to seek God in, just the, in our prayers to Him, then of course the enemy is going to continue to run over us, you know, continue to leave us left for dead if we're not making the pre proper preparations, if we're not preparing for battle, if we're not praying for this small thing like it's the biggest battle in your life. We need to have the consistent faith in the midst of everything. And just kill everything with just these, this prayer and the preparation. And so, as I mentioned first, though, what's the first thing that brings us to victory? Knowing our opposition. 
Knowing your enemy is another way of doing it. That's the simplest way to put it. And the second thing I just said, prepare for battle. We need to prepare for battle. And so the last thing here in, in what brings us a victory is following the leader. Following our leader in the midst of all the, the battles that we face. So we're going to finish up right here in 1 Samuel uh, 17. Um, we're starting once again at 41. And, Dave, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. I like how they throw in handsome. You know, that, like that's a relevant factor in, uh, you know, if he's going to win. Oh, he was good looking. That gave him, you know, yeah, that gave him at least a 20 more percent chance of winning. God's not going to honor no ugly person. That's kidding. Don't get offended. Don't get hurt. I just like how they throw them. He's a youth. He's ready. And he's handsome. Watch out. All of y'all having love is blind uh, vibes right here. Amen. So 43, though. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So here's, here's Goliath going once again, you know. He starts throwing out these jabs right there, just putting them down. Am I a dog? And he starts cursing them out, saying, like, oh, his gods are more superior than the God of Israel. He starts beating them down. And so we're going to get back to that specific point because that's important. Um, in verse 44, it says, The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. In verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord says, not with the sword and spear, uh, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. Or as it says in the Good News Battle, he is victorious in battle. And so we're going to go ahead and circle back around to it here. So you see, they, Goliath's first tactic there wasn't anything physical. Goliath didn't come running at him. Goliath didn't come get his big old javelin and start trying to stab the heck out of David. You know, David, Goliath's first thing was to mock uh, David. And so that's how the enemy comes to us. Because how many know we can come out of a war room prayer feeling like, all right, I feel good. We come out leaving church like, I, I feel great. I'm ready to take on the week. Then Monday comes, and he's like, oh, guess what? It's your favorite coworker. Debbie forgot to make a fresh pot of coffee, and I know you're tired. And you're all cussing around in your mind. And so the enemy's right there. He's mocking you. Or, you know, you've been circling someone in prayer, like one of your unsaved family members. You know, and you're just in believing for it. You know, I can see, you know, like even like this with my, my brother, you know, and how my parents must feel, you know, where it's like we've consistently been covering my brother in prayer. And, you know, there's often times where it's just have it's gotten a lot better, honestly, uh, now. But, you know, I'm sure there's points, you know, when my brother first left the Lord and, you know, he started saying a bunch of like things against the enemy, saying this is stupid, you know. He still believes, you know, in a sense he's an atheist. and But he used to come down against us. And so it's those kind of things, though, that where you have uh, uh, mom and dad rooted in God, you know, circling their son in prayer. And then you can hear their son saying something like that. And that could be discouraging. 
And that in the form is the enemy. The enemy can come through that where it's just like, oh, you're circling a prayer. Well, guess what? You're someone can say something stupid about what you believe. You're, 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 the enemy is going to come speak through them and say, like, what the heck? Why are you praying for me? Like, no point. I'm not, not going to come back to church. Why would I want to be here? The enemy likes to throw those kind of things through us. And so he comes like that Goliath, lording over us. Or we're going through a struggle where we've, we've made it a couple of days without slipping up, and then something happens. And there's the enemy right there. Oh, you tried. You tried. Because it wasn't good enough, though, huh? Just stay down. It's easier, honestly. But David didn't give in to all that. David kept his head up in the midst of all that. And what did he do? He declared victory in that situation. He declared victory not in his name, not by his might, but in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we need to do in those situations. When we're going through that, when we hit those setbacks, when we start slipping and falling short, we need to declare victory in the name of Jesus because it's Jesus that's going to get us through those battles. Jesus that's going to hand that victory in our hands. Jesus that's going to cut the head off of that, that Philistine and put it in our hands. He's going to cut the head off of that situation, cut the head off of just those things just lording over you. And he's going to put it in your hand and give you victory and show you, you see here, you see here, you just put your faith in me and I'm delivering it to you. In, verse, in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 14, it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. So let's finish up right here in these last two verses, and I'll be wrapping up here. And so in verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Not five stones, not four stones, a stone, one single stone. David had the faith of five stones. David had the faith to prepare and go for it. And Jesus met him. God met him in that moment and took only one stone to kill that Philistine. If you continue to prepare just in the midst of all that, if you continue to circle these things like your life depends on it, God won't meet you in the simplest of ways. And so uh, David took the stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. In verse 51, it says, Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sea and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And so th those Philistines right there, those are just like the enemy's backup right there. That's, that's how they do when you, uh, you know, declare God's victory in the midst of all that. They run away. When, you, when God cuts off the head of that Philistine, they all run away. All those voices, those doubters, those haters in your life, those haters in your, in your head, they all dissipate when you declare the name of Jesus in the midst of all this. So you see, the reason why I call this message Battle Born is that a lot of us are born out of battles. You know, it was a battle for us to even get here for some of us. It was a battle, you know, between God and the enemy, God and the devil for our lives, for our salvations. So we're born out of battles. This church is born out of battles. It was a battle to get here to Las Vegas 19 years ago. But it was battle born, but we're Christ-led. We have the greatest commander in the world, the greatest military strategist in the world. We have the name of Jesus Christ. We have God leading us here. And so although we may be battle born, we may have some scars upon us, we have made some things that we have done or that we're not proud of. We're still led by Christ. And when we're led by Christ, when he's the compass of our hearts, we're never going to be misled. 
but we're never going to be led astray. We're battle-born, but we're Christ-led. Come say amen. Let's go ahead and uh, stand up right here. Let's go ahead and come to a close. God's good. You guys just want to stand up.